Welcome to Backstories, and I want to introduce to you Chris Amaro and Josue Lopez. You guys can come up here. That's what the chairs are for. So, uh, <laughs> uh, this is Chris, and this is Josue, and they lead uh, our church at Redemption West Mesa, uh, also known as the Broadway Quarter. At least that's how you identified it early on, right? Oh, wait, where's your, where are your mics? Oh, we got to record you. We're recording, so. Oh, they're over there. All right. You guys look frightened like you've never spoken to groups of people before. I don't understand this. Well, I can't speak without a mic. That's the problem. Okay, there you go. All right, so Chris is, Chris primarily does the preaching and Josue leads the music. And believe it or not, we're going to have Josue lead us in one song eventually tonight when we get there. It'll be awesome. So uh, what I'd like you to do is, is just start by telling us about yourselves. And uh, Chris was nervous about that. He said, really? Can I talk about like the real stuff? Yes. So you can tell us about your low rider uh, in, in high school and all that. But I want to know where you grew up and where you went to school, all that stuff. Uh, Josue, same with you, and I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in Mexico and how you ended up here as well, okay? Awesome. So, awesome. go ahead, take it away. Well, I think one important factor is my parents got married when they were 16 years old. Wow. Can you believe that? 16 years old, had me when they were 17. Wow. And my dad, so he had me at 17, and he had his last kid at 47. So that's called family planning right Holy there. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> or lack of family planning. <laughs> so my dad has uh, two kids younger than my oldest daughter, Olivia. That's right there. <laughs> really? So, she's so he a, had a 30-year birthing window. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And so she's got an uncle and an aunt that are older than, or younger than Younger her. than that. Yes. Okay. So I've heard those funny. stories before. This is the first time I've ever <laughs> yeah. actually experienced it. Where but did you grow up? I grew up in Casa Grande, Arizona. Uh, my mom lived there. She was raised by her, uh, her grandparents. Okay. And so that was my early memories there. Growing up there, my dad was not in my life until about fifth grade. I had like three or four memories of my dad before that. Okay. And one of them, probably my first memory of my dad was him picking me up in his lowrider and going out to the middle of the desert in Casa Grande to a shooting range out there. And opening his glove box and having a, a bag of green lettuce or something in there. Marijuana. Oh. <laughs> I'll see the Frank. I'm so naive. <laughs> Unbelievable. And it wasn't medical. <laughs> so was he taking you to shoot or? Yeah. Hanging out with the, oh, yeah, hanging okay. out the, the how, guys How, how old were you when you were eating oh, the man. salad? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's how he got me to go to sleep. And no, I, was okay. kidding. I was a few years old. I was a little, little guy. Okay. That was one of my earliest memories. But, um, uh, so dad wasn't in my life. My mom ended up getting remarried three or four years old. And, and man, she, this guy had a lot of issues I mean, he was super abusive. Uh, looking back and through kind of my studies and some of my learning in psychology, I have diagnosed him as uh, borderline personality disorder. Okay. That's my diagnosis, <laughs> to try to understand what was going on with him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, fits of rage, uh, irrational thoughts, a lot of insecurity. I mean, they, are, I mean, they were going at it, man. They were fighting like crazy every day. And so it was a, it was a tough tough place to grow up in and I had they ended up having six more children together so I grew up with a family of seven kids in the house wow. which that'll make you borderline personality disorder too <laughs> have that many yeah. kids yeah <laughs> that'll test your uh, mental health for sure and uh, so I grew up in there uh, went to church a little bit growing up uh, went to uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of the, the Door Christian the, the Door Christian Fellowship. Yeah, it's kind of like Potter's House, Victory yeah. Outreach, super 
you know, hyper charismatic and yeah. there's a lot of legalism there. They're the guys that will be on the corner yelling at everyone to repent or go to hell and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember just at a young age deciding, like, I, I believed in God, and, but I, I just couldn't do the religion stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I was a sinner. I believed the, there was a God out there. But I think from the, the message I got from the church was, you know, there's, I just couldn't be good enough. Uh-huh. So from, I, I just remember clearly from a young age to deciding I'm going to have fun while I'm a young kid and, and I'll figure out the God stuff later. And it was, pro- it was around my freshman year in high school. I had some and where did you go to high school? Casa Grande, Casa Grande Union High School. Okay. The, the Cougars. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had some friends start inviting me to, uh, well, for one... Well, yeah, they started inviting me to Young Life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what is, what's, what is this Young Life thing? And they were like, oh, like, it's this youth group thing. And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want anything to do with the youth group. You know, they are like, but no, it's just like fun religious thing. I was like, no, you keep your religion. And they finally said, well, dude, all the fine preppy girls are there. I was like, well, why don't you stay in the first place? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, there's no way I had any chance with any fine preppy girls. <laughs> I was a little wannabe little cholo guy, you know, with the flannels, you know, uh-huh. the, ca- the khaki yeah. pants, a little, uh, fuzz, I call it fuzz stash, you know, the fuzzy mustache, not quite, that's why I'm, I'm compensating now for the fuzz stash when I was a teenager. <laughs> and uh, so I went there and... I think, man, it was so so helpful for me to just be able to be in a place where I could be a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're growing up in that tough environment, you got to grow up really fast. You got to yeah. be, you got to be tough. You got to shut down those emotions. Yeah. You know, it, it's like survival, and uh, it just let me be a kid. And I heard about Jesus and how He loved me. And that summer, uh, June, 1996, I went to uh, Woodleaf up in Northern California. Beautiful camp, and that's, I remember it was, a, it was a night where they, they show the Jesus video, Jesus on the cross video, and, and then they give you a little quiet time to go out afterwards, and, and I remember going out there and praying, and yeah, I was hardly even paying attention the whole week, but when I saw Jesus on the cross, some, you know, God, God changed something in me, and I went outside that night, and I prayed, God, I don't know what this means, but I want to live my life for you. Wow. Yeah. June, June 6, 1996. And how old were you then? I was 15 years old. And yeah. you, you graduated from Casa Grande Union High? I did, yeah. And, and I asked you this because I know how much you love ba- basketball. Yeah. You didn't play basketball, though, in high school. I played my fir- a freshman and sophomore year. You did, okay. And, man, I, that always kills me to think, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. I could have played, mm-hmm. but I wanted to have my lowrider too bad. <laughs> <laughs> When I was 15, my dad bought me a 1980 Monte Carlo, and I, oh, I just wow. well, I couldn't resist. Do you still have it? Cause... Oh, man, I wish. I, yeah, love, right. I, that's my, I love that car still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I, wanted, I wanted to fix up my car and get the lowrider rims on it and get the fancy paint job and stuff on it, and that ended up costing, causing me a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. So when did you move up to the Valley? So I graduated in 99. And uh, interesting thing, my Young Life leader uh, connected me to Young Life up in the valley, and I was going to go to ASU, and he even told me, hey, you need to go check out this guy. His name is Tom Schrader. You're going to love him. And so the first church I went to... Why does his name keep coming up everywhere? (laughs) Isn't that wild? Yeah, so anyway. So yeah, the first church I went to right out of high school was East Valley Bible Church. Church. And I, I went there, and... And those are a lot of young life people at the time, and uh, and I think I was like the only one that stuck, stayed there. Yeah, you know, and stuck it through. And so, yeah. so that's you ended up there. You went to ASU and just got connected with East Valley, and and yeah. uh, so you've been around East Valley slash Redemption ever since then, right? Yeah, for one, twi- cha- one twenty years or another. Yeah, twenty years. Wow, that is a long time. That's yeah. really great. All right, Josue, you're up. <laughs> awesome. Um, I was raised and born in Hermosillo. How many of you know where is Hermosillo? Oh, wow, yeah. good. Well, I feel at home now. 
Buenísimo. A little bit different than Chris. My parents met at the Christian seminar. And they got married. And I was born there. They planted a church over there in Hermosillo. Uh, interesting fact. This church, what's the name of the old church that used to be here? Fillmore? Oh. Yeah. What? Billmore? Biltmore Bible Church. Biltmore. Oh. That church sent shares to my church in Hermosillo. Really? Like 30 years, 40 years ago. Wow. Shirts. No, the seats. Oh, shares. seats. I thought you said shirts. No, the seats. Okay. Seats. Like, you know, all of life, all for Jesus yeah. shirts. We don't need those, but yeah. No. <laughs> anyway, so we got some connection with here back in the day. Wow. Back in, John Cosby told me the story. You know John Cosby, the guy from Immigrant Hope. Anyway, uh, my life was a little bit different than a normal Mexican because my two sides of my family, they're believers. And it's not normal in Mexico. So I never grew up in a Catholic church. I never went to a service unless I was invited for a wedding or something like that. So uh, my, for the two sides, Christians everywhere. And oh, that was a bless for me. So uh, I grew up there. Uh, I went to high school, a Christian school, pretty much my whole life, too. Uh, and then finally I hit the world going to a, a, a public university in, in Hermosillo. I played one year basketball over there. Uh, he can still play ball, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so just one year. Uh, and then I started working for the government in Hermosillo almost six years. What were you doing for them? Uh, I was working, uh, doing administrator stuff, but pretty much connecting with the community. Okay. Uh, a lot of work doing outside of the, of the offices and connecting with neighborhoods and stuff like that, uh, making it better. And, and what's so, the population of Hermosillo? Almost a million people right now. It's a now. big city, right? It's, it's the capital of the state of Sonora. A lot of people in Arizona don't even realize that yeah. it's right there, right? Yeah, it's a big city. We have a lot of influence for America in, in our city. Uh-huh. A lot of stations in English, oh, the movies you can see and watch in English too. So, so it's a little bit different culture than down in Southern, central, yeah. like, like Mexico City and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot what, of what are some of the major differences in the culture? Uh, well... We pretty much the city looks like any city here in America, mm-hmm. like Mesa or Tucson. Pretty much, you have all this restaurant. If you go to south, southern, it's different. Uh, so, but uh, uh, even the the um, big days, uh, they're a little bit different. Pretty much, the whole story of the country happened in Mexico City around that stuff, and here in the north, nothing happened. So, okay. small cities and. Yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, it's going to be 18 years old on October 20th. So, 18? Yeah. And, and how many kids do you have? I have two, uh, Misael and Michelle. They're here with me okay. today. So. And how long have you been married? I'm going on 12. 12 years? Where, 12 did, you, where did you guys oh, meet? Man, you got 12 or 13 so in that area, that range. Okay. <laughs> Between 10 and 15. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay. How did you guys meet? My wife and I yeah. have met at, at Lost Canyon, Young Life Camp. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah me and my wife met in my church. Then my dad was pastoring over there. So God brought her to me. And, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when did you uh, come up here then? So, and why? Um, I don't know if you know Mike Posh. That name is familiar to you guys. But he was part of Redemption or East Valley Bible Church. Okay. And he went to Hermosillo to raise leaders over there. So I got connected with him, and he came back here and talked to Tom Shader, and then they hired me. So this, East Valley Bible Church hired you, yeah, and you moved up here. Yeah, so we need to have a big process through immigration and a big deal over there. They hired some fancy lawyer to bring me here and pay a lot of money to. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. And, and finally, uh, we came here. So. Wow. How long have you been, been here? Uh, since 2004. So 15 six, years. Yeah. So did, is that where you and Chris met each other? We Was met in East Valley Bible Church. You met at East Valley Bible Church? We saw each other, but never talked to each other. <laughs> okay. I think the first time we bonded, we played basketball together at a 7-10 camp. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
right. It was the Mexican guys against everyone else. <laughs> and we won. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that helped connect you guys was the basketball, right? You still play basketball together, don't you? Yeah. We played ball today. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Do you ever yeah. do any ministry or do you just play basketball? No. That's our ministry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So tell me about how this then started to evolve into ministering in the Broadway corridor and how that got started and how Tom was part of that and behind that. I assume he was part. I know he used to talk about it a lot. Yeah, uh, pretty much maybe in 2009, they changed the vision of uh, sending missionaries outside of the country and they want to do something here and, and okay. around the city. So he's, I don't know, Daniela Chandler was... Daniel Chandler. She started this. Bannister now. Yeah. Bannister. Uh, okay. She started this ministry, the Broadway Corridor, and got some connections over there. So, uh, and pretty much Tom Sherry was preaching a lot about reaching those who are close to here but not from this country. Mm-hmm. So, that was pretty much amazing. So, Chris, you described that as um, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So, explain a little bit about that, how that happened in the East Valley. Yeah, so they, they, you know, Jerusalem was kind of like, if you know, in the Bible is these are people in our, in our, Jerusalem's like the hub of, you know, the early church. And then you had Judea, which were, you know, there's Christians, but they were, they were close, they're the same culturally as Jerusalem. And Samaritans were culturally different and they were close, right? So there's this more proximity and, and so they saw that as we want to reach people that are different than us, that are close. That are close to you. Yeah. Okay. And so they took him from, he was, he was a pastor at Pan de Vida, which was a church plant out of East Valley Bible Church. And, and Tyler had been working on me for a couple of years while I was doing Young Life in, in West Mesa. I was actually the area director of Young Life in, in West Mesa, and I was okay. at at uh, doing Young Life at uh, Mesa High, which is right next to our yeah. building. Oh, yeah, 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 the yeah. Jackrabbits. Yep, and so, so yeah, it just, they, they decided that they wanted to do this ministry, I think partly in, you know, some relationship with Tyler and I, and, and then them having Josue and wanting to use his unique gifts and talents, and, and, and then the vision for the Broadway Corridor at the time. And in 2010, they launched a, uh, a, a community center okay. in the neighborhood. And I was doing Young Life there, and he was, he was helping Danielle Chandler, or Bannister now at the time. And, and eventually, around October of 2010, uh, it was just go time. Like, God had moved me in, in, into a place where I was like, after I'd gotten assessed and all the process of, of the church planning assessments and stuff, uh, we had said, well, let's go. Let's try to plant a church. Okay. I, you know, I even have told the story of they started that Broadway Corridor Center with the, with the dream of planting a church there. And I've told the story in front of Tyler, and I'd said, but they didn't know who the, who the church planner would be. And Tyler will tell you, Oh yeah, we did. We knew who the church planner would be, <laughs> and so Tyler had it in his mind who it would be. You know, it would be Josue and I from, All along. The, from the start. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, we keep using this term Broadway corridor. Explain what that means culturally, economically, uh, geographically. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's just like you call this area Arcadia. Arcadia? Uh-huh. You know, the the city has classified the area in in West Mesa that's. Mesa Drive to Main Street to Gilbert to Southern as the Broadway Corridor. Okay. And it's just a high, uh, it's an area that's, you know, part of the oldest part of Mesa. It's close to downtown. It's, there's a, it, I think one of the last census said it was like 50% Hispanic, which is probably, it's probably higher than that. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, there's all the, the challenges that go with that area, you know, being more poverty and, yeah. and, uh, and uh, you know, high immigrant population. So what was the date that you launched the, the church? And was it launched as Redemption West Mesa? Or did that name, ch- were, were we Redemption at that time? So it was launched as Redemption West Mesa. 
And yep. what was the date that you launched? September 11th, 2011. 11. Okay. So 9-11-11. 9-11-11. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so the merger between East Valley and Praxis happened that the, the January and then mm -hmm. nine months later you launched Redemption yep. West Mesa. Okay. And he knew about Redemption already because he was on staff at East Valley. Okay. And I was, I was not in the inside of those conversations, so I was trying to come up with a, oh, well, what are we going to call this church? What are we going to name it? And he's, I'm like, why isn't Josue like, trying to be more creative and come up with the name? Because he knew, he, he knew that it was going to be a Redemption Just Church. Redemption West Mesa, yeah. What were some so of the That's how our relationship could... started with him keeping yeah, secrets keep from me. Secrets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the names you came up with? Did you, do you remember? I, I was thinking like a Redeemer. I was I, literally thinking Redeemer Bible or something like that. Okay. Yeah, Redeemer Community Church or something. And you were in the community center building um, first when you launched the we, church? We start only just like a Bible studies on Sundays. Okay. And even for women's, we have some Bible studies. And we have a lot of people in that building. And so okay. we've grown up so much. Then. But when we started this, the real services on Sunday, it was in Longfellow Elementary School. Oh, it was? So, yeah. Okay, in an so, elementary school. Yeah. But you're in, you're in sort of your own building now, right? Are you renting mm -hmm. there or do you own the building? We're renting. We're renting? No. Okay. And you, you don't rent the whole building, though, right? No. Uh, 90% of the building. 90% of the building yeah. is yours. Okay. Yeah. Isn't the, is there an IRS um, office there? That's so annoying. <laughs> so on Google Maps, the IRS, you know, the IRS is in, like, you know, their logo is on top of our building. Oh, okay. So literally all day. People are tugging on our doors and looking in the windows, trying to find the IRS all day. <laughs> I'm glad that's not happening here, that's for sure. Um, and Tyler Johnson was, was involved in this quite a bit too, as well, right? He was. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about the culture in this church. Tell us about the demographics, the culture. The demographics, we can divide our church like... 30% first generation, uh, pretty much Mexicans, like me, mm -hmm. people who growing up in Mexico and came here later. Uh, maybe 30% can be Chicanos, that's how we call those second, third, fourth generation, like he's fourth generation. And the other 30% can be Anglo and African-American. Okay, so, and about how many people are attending on Sunday? Well, can be like 120 with kids. Uh-huh. But a lot of our people work on different Sundays. So we have 60 people one Sunday and the next 80 adults. Okay. So it's... It fluctuates. Uh, yeah. You've got a great little area, though, I mean, where, where you guys worship. That's a, I mean, we, we, we jam the entire leadership collective in that, in that room. So you've got, you've got a nice place yeah. in there to be able to worship, right? Definitely. How long yeah. have you been in that building? 2012, summer of 2012. Yeah. Okay. Last week of July in 2012. Okay. Part of our goal to, and God's provide that building, is to offer the people a nice building and make the people feel like you're welcome here and you deserve it. If you have a value as a person, so you're not hiding in, a, in the back of the church, meeting in a room right there. So we want to keep them from like the value of the person. And, and so that's mm -hmm. important for us. Okay. But we got all, I mean, we got Immigrant Hope going on in there. We got ESL classes. I mean, civics classes, uh, tutoring. You know, there's yeah. just all kinds of stuff going on in You're there. still functioning as sort of a community center yeah. in that regard, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, we got, we call it El Puente Center. So that's how we communicate out to the, to the community that there's this El Puente Center that you come to. And you can take classes. And What is El Puente mean? The bridge. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so uh, talk a little bit about the fact that you guys um, have a translator, right, when you preach? Yeah. Is that right? And, and what, what drove that decision and uh, how you did the headphones for a while? Talk a little bit about that. Well, man, that was, that was really early. I think that was even before we launched services. Uh, we, well, we initially had been doing, we had a Bible study, we'd do some worship, 
and then we'd split off, you know, Spanish, English, and we'd have two separate teachings going on. And one, one summer, I went on vacation, and uh, Josue and, and Mike Posh said, hey, let's, let's try bilingual. And so behind my back, they tried bilingual, and everyone liked it. <laughs> and everyone liked it, and, you know, it was better to be together than, you know, it was a small group, you know, together, yeah. and then you split off, and it's two even smaller groups. So yeah. it felt good to be together, and, and everyone loved it, and... And we never went back. Be- also because the community that we're dealing with is, it, it, you know, a lot of people who come here first generation, may- maybe they've been here 10, 15 years, and, and they might speak English or they might have poor English. But when you're learning, like, uh, the Bible or you're hearing preaching, to hear that in your primary language, you know, it, it connects more to your heart. Yeah. Right. And, and then you got their kids who have been here and they're growing up in the school system and, and they want to speak English. Yeah. So for the whole family to be able to worship together, uh, you know, bilingual is the only way unless you're separating the, the parent, you know, parents from the kids and they're learning two different things. And, and so we, we really wanted to be a, a place where the family can worship together mm-hmm. and really to encourage the dads to be able to lead their, their families spiritually and to know what their kids are learning. And that was kind of, that has been our value from the start. That's, that's really good. It, do you feel like you're at a disadvantage, though, having to uh, allow time for the translator? When you preach Exodus, yes. And when they <laughs> give us like three or four chapters to preach, yeah. yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we need to pay some stuff and, and, and skip the other stuff. So, yeah. but, um, well, and that's true because I mean, we're skipping stuff too yeah. and not, and not, um, having translators, yeah. you know, cause it's, it's big chunks. So I can understand how that must be hard to, so we prepare out. a sermon for 25, 30 minutes plus mm-hmm. the translation. We add 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. So around 45, 50 minutes is our So sermon. are you preaching in English and it's translated to Spanish or Spanish and translated to English? Both. Both. English to Spanish, Spanish to English. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we do that because even like when he's preaching, the people who are English only speaking, they feel related and understanding, but okay. the other people, maybe they feel less value. But the next Sunday, I'm preaching in Spanish. Okay. So we can give uh, that sense to the people. You know? And we're 50-50 now. Oh, you are? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, but you're not 50-50 on the music, so how's that working for Josue? Yeah, I know. He needs a, he needs a race. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the race. <laughs> so t- tell me about, this was one of my favorite questions that I sort of started getting into with you last week. Tell me about your other passions beside family and basketball. I know you both are very passionate for your family, mm-hmm. and I know you both love basketball. And I know that one of your big goals is to eventually play Redemption Peoria in basketball so that we yeah. can just finally shut them up, right? We need to humble yeah, Sean. We need to humble Myers, that's right. <laughs> uh, what are your passions outside of family and basketball? I, l- l- let me start with Chris, okay. and then we'll go to you, and then we'll do, some, we'll do the music. Okay. Well, I'd say my passion is I, I'm really into neuroscience, psychology and neuroscience. It really started with me uh, at a surge lunch. I don't know if you guys know what surge is, the surge network of, of churches, and they'll bring in speakers for, for pastors in. And it was actually at the old Redemption Arcadia. They brought yeah. Kurt Thompson to come speak. Oh, yeah, the guy that wrote um, Anatomy, Anatomy of the, of the Soul. Soul. Yeah. Yeah, and that book began a, uh, a journey for me, mm-hmm. a journey, uh, uh, I think, of a lot of emotional healing, you know, I was pretty closed down uh, emotionally, and, and that helped me really understand what was going on inside of me, begin to examine that. And, and, and then, I mean, that, that book, you know, he talks about Daniel Siegel a lot, so I started mm-hmm. re- reading Daniel Siegel's books, who's a, neuro, a neuroscience guy, and it got me into books like The Body Keeps the Score. And at the same time, I was doing foster care. So, I, you know, I'm learning about trauma and, and, you know, I'm trying to understand what, what 
these kids have gone through and and it, it just really led me on a this huge journey and and I and I read those books like it, it's just fun you know that's like my entertainment I, I just love it and and that's even led me to now I'm, I'm at a Phoenix Seminary I'm pursuing a master's in counseling wow yeah that's terrific so you read neuroscience books like I read Helter Skelter so that's and yours is a little there's bit a lot healthier of, there's than mine. a lot of fun yeah you're messing up your brain yeah wrong. okay yeah I'm healing mine <laughs> I got you uh, you connected all this stuff though to this idea of the passage we're getting ready to do on this Sunday Exodus 15 and the song and the neuroscience and the connection it makes there talk a little bit about that well I just one of the principles of neuroscience is that neurons that fire together wire together so it, all the whole idea is Every time you, you do something, right? Like first time you drive, you're not very good at driving. You're like, you got to really pay attention to the road, and, and, and you're, you know, you get, you're not very good with the gas and brake, but you do it over and over, and repetition, your neurons begin to, to wire together and where you can do it to where you're not even thinking anymore. Yeah. Right? That's because you fired those, those neural, neurons in your brain, and you formed this you know, neural pathways that your brain these these it becomes automatic. You know, same thing with a sport, you right? You practice a sport long enough you gain muscle memory to do things automatic. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I was bringing up is that's one of the powerful things of of worship and, and that you know, God gives us worship and he gives us music because it, it you know, it it allows us to fire those there's neural neurons, right? And those same, you keep worshiping Jesus and, and you're singing these truths and, and it's repetition and over and over, you know, over the years and you're, and you're really forming your mind. You're forming your thoughts. You're forming your theology. You're forming your understanding of who God is through, you know, and that's just kind of the neuroscience. And that's why this song in, in Exodus 15 is so important, that they stopped in the middle of this journey to sing this song together. Mm-hmm. And the thought is that this song was sung all the time. Yeah. That it wasn't just a one-shot deal. It's to shape, to form a people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's renewing your mind, you know. And that's really what we're doing, you know, all this repetition. The scriptures give us a lot of these, you know, Philippians 4, 8, you know, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, you know, think about these things. Yeah. And it gives us, a, you know... The psalms that, that shape us and form us as we go through them. You know, this, this powerful poetry and music. Yeah. All right. Good. So, Josue, your passion. Yeah. When I was um, 13 years old, I started playing basketball. But at the same time, my dad gave me a guitar. And I was learning to play the guitar. And sooner or later, I was part of the worship band in my church. And I got this big connection with music, but the time that we spent on Sunday and worshiping Jesus. And, and that was my, my passion. Yeah. Just, not just lead worship, but uh, I was raising musicians, and I would say people who want to worship through the instruments, yeah. not just musicians. So uh, because of the lack of musicians uh, in my churches when I was around, I started, okay, well, I need to make my own musicians. <laughs> and I started teaching Little kids, like maybe 12 years old, 9 years old, and, and using in the worship band. So I have this huge passion for, for the younger generation to get connected to, to worship and, and playing instruments. So that's, that's one of my biggest passions. So tell us some of the, tell us that story like um, about Larry. Okay. The guy Larry. Yeah. We have this guy coming uh, only in the... Snowbird. Snowbird. Maybe we don't get was, very many snowbirds in West Mesa. <laughs> yeah, he was maybe like 85 years old. And so we, he was there in the beginning of the service. And my, my son at that point was like nine years old. And he was in the stage. And then he got angry because why is this kid doing in the stage? And the service is almost start. Why he's in the stage? So he got that in his mind and he got angry. And then my kid went to the drums and started playing with the whole band. And so he felt so bad during the service. And I saw that guy, like, something happened with this guy. 
In the end, he came to me and said, hey, can I talk to that kid? Is your son? Yeah, bring him here. So I brought, I brought Misael, and what's going on? Well, I need to ask forgiveness because I was so angry that he was in the stage and nobody take care of the kids in this church, and, and he was walking in the stage, and was, he said, forgive me, uh, I love you. And, and that was, uh, was amazing, you know. So you, your nine-year-old son is your percussionist. It was. Now he's 17. Now he's 17. <laughs> is he still the percussionist? He still plays drums. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so he'd be back there, and all you could see is the top of his head back there. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes and, you can see his little chubby, cute little cheeks, though. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Chris, you were talking about how uh, Josue will just, like, take people and start teaching them how, how to play. It, it, it's, it's amazing. If Josue needs a bass player, he'll grab someone from the church and just start working with them. And it, seriously, to me, it seems like a few weeks they're up there playing bass. I don't know how he does it, but it's, it's pretty amazing. Literally, everyone this past week up there that was on the worship team, Josue taught them. Josue taught them how to play. Yeah. Is Caleb in here? No. no he, yeah, so Caleb needed to hear that, right? He's <laughs> a little, little guilt. Yeah, little exactly. Well, would you yeah. mind? Uh, would you go ahead? Oh, uh, well, now what was I gonna say? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. how about how about you lead us in a song? Cool. But here's my only deal. Okay. Because we do bilingual, and you notice my English is not that good. And every Sunday, I have a microphone in front of me and trying to sing in English. And there's some words like they're so hard to say, and people look at me like, "What did he tried to say?" Anyway. Like I do chairs. my best. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Chairs. Yeah. Luckily, there's um, no chairs in this song right here. But uh, here's the deal. <laughs> I want to ask my daughter to come and play with me, but you need to try to sing this song. That's the deal? We do we, it by We all stand and let's try to sing this song with him, okay? Sorry to make you stand up, Steve. <laughs> Pretty sure you know this song, Cornerstone. You know the song? This on? I don't know. Can you play, Michelle? You have piano, but not guitar. Can you hear the guitar? Yeah, okay, let's do this. Sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but only trust in Jesus' name. Mi esperanza está en Jesús. Mi esperanza está en Jesús, en su justicia y en la cruz, en su justicia y en la cruz. De nadie más dependeré, de nadie más dependeré, solo en su nombre confiaré, solo en su nombre confiaré. Jesús fuerte soy solo Él mi roca es sobre la tempestad Él es Rey When darkness on his unchanging grace and every high is only God 
presencia voy a estar sin mancha te vendré justificado por la fe justificado por la fe mentioned earlier um, this new initiative that you guys have actually working out of your building now uh, called Immigrant Hope. Tell us a little bit more about that. We, we've talked about it here at Arcadia, but I was the one talking about it. So I'm sure a lot of stuff got lost in, in the, you know, a lot of information got lost. But tell us a little bit more about this initiative that we're helping you with. So I'd say one of the, one of the challenges we've had over the years is, is, is the immigration issues so people come they got a they got an issue they need some help they need DACA you know a, a dad gets arrested or you know picked up by NS or there's just a lot of different kind of scenarios that can happen and people have come to us like man you, you got any idea what I can do and we, we never had any we didn't know where to send people you know we'd send them to maybe send them to a lawyer and the lawyer tells them you know it's too expensive to go to a lawyer for for a lot of people, and then uh, there's people that, there's also, uh, I don't know if you guys, there's, in the, in the Mexican communities, there's notaries that will offer legal services, but they are not certified to do people's uh, legal services, and, and that, that can create a lot of problems. So, so it's they, like, cl they claim they can do it, but they're really not so They'll help people go through it. their, yeah, through the paperwork, but they're okay. not licensed. They okay. don't know all the laws. They don't know the ins and outs. And there might be some better than others, but it's like going to someone to do your taxes who's not going to sign off on your taxes. Okay. okay. Right? Yeah. You're, you, you get in trouble, and they have no, no responsibility. Okay. I have a, a good friend of mine who, who uh, the, the, uh, a notary messed up on on his kids and he's still to this day trying to sort out his kids uh, immigration you know okay. process like 15 years later but we need to understand that in all Latin America 
if you're a nutty, normally you are a liar. So people in our community understand, oh, you're a liar. Okay. So, but not right. here in America. Not in America, yeah, sure. Okay. And so we, we just had this, this problem. We see it's a huge issue in our community, in our church, and, and what was that, last, last year around January, we had someone from Immigrant Hope had come to speak at another church, and she came over and told us about it. And the first time we heard about it, we were just like, that sounds great, let's do it. You know? and, and not knowing, you know, all, uh, it, it's a lot of work. It's yeah. been a lot of work. But Immigrant Hope is basically, it's an immigrant uh, legal, uh, uh, legal services center where people who are, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios. For example, we have a guy in our church who is, is engaged to a woman in Colombia. And he's trying to bring her over. So there's, there'll be those kind of situations. Okay. There's kids that are, are need to reapply for DACA. You know, their parents brought him, them here when they were children. And, and now they have to, every two years, uh, renew DACA. Uh -huh. You know, when it's able to be renewed. And, you know, that changes with politics. Um, you know, there's some people, there's a lot of people that are here. They're, uh, they have... Uh, you know, they're resident aliens, mm -hmm. and we can help them move towards citizenship. Mm -hmm. So there's just all kinds of different scenarios. And so we're able to now help people in the community. And it won't just be, even be uh, Mexican people. There's, you know, there's Somali community. I know there's, there's a, a Haitian, was a Haitian church in, in our neighborhood. And, and so we're making connections everywhere. And so this is, this is a way of doing this legally, um, but there, it's, it's, it's a ministry in the sense that it's so expensive that you're trying to help defray those costs for the people who are going through this. Is that right? Is that a fair uh, yes. description of so, it? So how are you getting funded then? It, it has been, you know, so far it's been churches and, and individuals. It's, it's fundraising. Our bu the budget's not, not that big. It's about 100 hundred thousand dollar budget it's a hundred thousand dollar budget a year okay. yeah around there and about how many people are you is it is it fully uh, is it f going full-time now or is it are you are, still ramping we up? are in the final stages and we've been delayed because of the government shutdown earlier this year okay but that we we've submitted all our paperwork to the Department of Justice we've submitted supporting you know paperwork and documents and we're just waiting for the, the stamp from them, basically. Okay. And we're ready to go. But they're, they're already doing a lot of great But you have amazing, been seeing people. Uh, they're not helping people. They're not, we're not allowed to help people with le their legal services yet. Uh -huh. But uh, we have two, two staff people, basically. And they're doing ESL classes right now. Okay. They, tonight, they're doing this uh, coffee and conversation mm -hmm. where it's just people who are doing ESL, they can come and, and practice their English. Mm -hmm. uh, they're doing civics classes. So that a civics class is something you would need to take to become a citizen, to pass the citizenship test. They're doing family... 100 questions are really hard. And he did it. Me and my wife, we did it like three years ago. But it's good to learn about this country, you know, that we want to love and serve here too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And they're doing family preparedness classes. And so what that is, there's a lot of people who, who have been here, you know, 20 years. Their kids are, you know, teenagers. And, you know, previous administrations weren't, weren't as tight on, on immigration. And, you know, they're free to come over here and, and work and, and make lives. It's kind of like Exodus that we're reading, right? Yeah, you, right. You, you got all these people that come in under one administration and then the next administration comes in and isn't so, uh, you know, is anti-immigration or isn't so fond of these, this group here. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of where a lot of people find themselves. And they came a long time ago. They've made their lives here. And they're kind of trying to figure out how to make it. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, but I'm sorry. The family preparedness class. Oh, okay. So basically that's to help people who are who are here, uh, 
prepare a plan for their family in case they get picked up by INS or ICE. Okay. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, there was this raid in, I think it was Alabama, where a factory got raided and a bunch of people got picked up and, and their kids were at school. And no one was there to pick up their kids. Okay. Kids didn't know what to do. The parents didn't know what to do. And, and so this is to help the people come up with a plan. What, where are my kids going to go? You know, what are my rights in case I get, I get picked up? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just helped them be prepared for that. Yeah. So there's a, tell me a little bit about the Prison of Gold song. What that means to you. To me. Or to um, Chris. I explained to Chris, and he understands better than me. Okay. <laughs> what well, does it mean? What is a prison of gold? Well, you have people coming from Latin America here, you say, and they've been working here hard. They have money here. They have house. And then they're not allowed to go back to Mexico. They're not allowed to see the parents again or go back and bury your parents. And, and because this, if they go back, it'll be hard to get back in. Yeah, there's yeah. no way to back made in. Lives here. Yeah. yeah. So this song talk about you have everything here nice and say gold and a beautiful city and and then this person miss a lot of their country, but they need to stay here to provide for their family. Yeah. And then the kids they lost the language. They learn. They only speak English, and parents they don't speak English. And only speak Spanish, and there's no connection with your kids anymore. And all your kids hate the country where you're coming from, and they don't want to be related with that country anymore. So oh. your heart's kind of broke about that. I see. You? Okay. And there's a song about that. There's a song about yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So one of the tensions in this is, you know, I I want to follow the law, right? Yeah. And laws change, as you were saying, different administrations. You, you, you build a life in one way, and then, it, and then just overnight it can change. But we want to follow the law, but at the same time we're called to love the sojourner, the immigrant, and the stranger. And I feel like immigrant hope is one way of balancing that, trying to balance that tension. Is, is that fair to say? What you're doing with immigrant hope? I, I would say so, especially because... We're helping. Pe- we're trying to help people live here and obey the laws of the land, mm-hmm. right? So we're help- trying to help them come under and hey, here's what the laws of the land say as far as immigration. Let's let's help you get, you know, your status mm-hmm. fixed. And and without something like immigration, hope they might not ever try to do that. Is that right? They wouldn't maybe even know how to even start. How to even start? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I take a question because. We preach every other week, and how we can preach to the people like they broke the law. <laughs> That's not the real gospel. So we need to preach the gospel and tell yeah. them, yeah, you need yeah. to love this country and much as you can, follow the law. Yeah. So. I've had people multiple times tell me, like, why don't you just tell these people to, to go back? Why don't you tell them to obey the law? And I say, the Bible doesn't tell me to do that. That's not what the Bible tells. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells me to go around and telling my neighbor to obey the law and go back to another country. The Bible tells me to love my neighbor, mm-hmm. love even enemies, right? Mm-hmm. Love my neighbor, love the sojourner, love the immigrant. I mean, it's all over the scripture, right? Caring for orphans and widows and the vulnerable. Nowhere does the Bible tell me I should tell people to go back to uh-huh. somewhere, right? So... So, so we're just trying to love the people who God's brought around us. And one way to do that is through this service then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So then, uh, this might be a, a little touchy, but it, it involved even Arcadia and Tempe and Alhambra. Um, when we, uh, you had some uh, asylum seekers coming in on buses, Ooh, yeah. and the church next door to you was taking them in, right? Mm-hmm. And... and Suddenly, you were being accused of... Uh, I don't know if anybody saw this on social media when this was happening. Talk a little bit about that. And there was a group called the Arizona Patriots that were giving you some trouble. And So has anyone seen the, the video of the lady that was in Tucson yelling? And then there's the guy sitting in the front row, and he's laughing, looks like hysterically at her. 
It's become like a meme, and it's used over and over. But really, it was this one lady. She, and she just started following the buses when they were leaving the, the detention centers and going to the churches and harassing the churches. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I don't think there was any official organization. Oh, she just okay. put. She was originally, I think what happened is originally she put it under this Patriot Movement Arizona. She put a video on it, and she just got a ton of action. And I think she said, oh, look, I can get, I can get attention. I can build a following. And so she created AZ Patriots, and mm-hmm. she got a huge following <laughs> on social media. And so every time a bus would get dropped, I mean, I started getting calls now, the, now explain, explain the context of this. The bus okay. would come, and there's a church next door to you, and they're the ones that they're, they're dropping them off at that church, mm-hmm. but they don't have a sign, and you have a sign, yeah, right? They have a small sign that you can barely see. Okay. And we have the big redemption lo- sign up there. <laughs> yeah. And so every time they come, or even when the news comes, they put Redemption Church on there. And, and we never went and made a public statement like, this is not us, because yeah. we were helping. Yeah. Right? We were you, helping. You were they, helping. They were we, asylum. They were staying they were, the government in our, was part of our building for a yeah. while. Yeah. So these were people who had came here and been granted temporary asylum. Mm-hmm. INS had brought them up here. And they started, in the past, they just dropped them off at bus stops and mm-hmm. you know, bus stations, and all the people were just standing out there. Yeah. So they decided, no, we need to partner with churches to help them get to where they need to go because they had a few days to get to their sponsor families yeah. to get to their court dates yeah. to decide okay. their asylum. Yeah. And so they were getting dropped off next to us. So is it not true that on one of the um, newscasts they were interviewing the pastor of the other church and they put under it that he was the pastor of Redemption West Mesa? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that caused like this social media back, backlash against Redemption Church, right? Yeah. Go look. Because we, we felt some of that at, at Arcadia. Uh, Stephanie was taking posts and trying to get them off of there and stuff. Yeah. Right? Go go to our Facebook page. Go to our Google and help us report those posts. <laughs> They're still there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. So this is a tricky, tricky thing that we're we're doing. The, the whole immigration thing is really, really tricky. Yeah, I would say so. But, you know, this was one lady that was just making a lot of noise. Really? And you get put it on social media and, you know, and you can... She became an organization. Yeah. And, and she ended up getting a lawsuit filed against her and a couple of guys that were around with her. And they, and they, told, they settled the lawsuit and, you know, the grounds were they couldn't go near any of the churches... They couldn't harass churches. Really? Yeah, and, uh, and she was supposed to take down all the messages. I haven't looked at her. I'm interested. I've got to go look at her Facebook group and see if it's gone yet. <laughs> a couple of Sundays, we have people in the door, people for a church looking if somebody's going to come and do something to our church. Because really? She's posting stuff okay. against us. Okay. But to... she was affiliated with this Patriot Movement AZ, which is it's a hate group. Okay. And I know that a guy went to another church with a gun, and it was on the news. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it, was, it was scary. It was scary mm. times. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you posting something about Slack on, uh, on Slack about that and kind of warning us as well uh, with that. Yeah, very, very interesting. Okay, tough stuff, man, I'm telling you. Ministry is tough sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. So what are you encouraged by? What are you hoping for? Return of Jesus, coming soon and for us. It's coming soon. Oh, yeah. tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> I, I hope, Emerian hopes, get open soon. It's going to help a lot to our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope we can understand to each other and talk to each other and know these stories to each other. That has been very helpful in a church, like going out of the park or camping and and, and listen to the stories and, and value the people because they're people created by God. So I hope people understand other people, even have different color or language or accent. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chris? I would echo the same thing he said. That's, yeah. that's kind of been our, you know, we're coming up close to two years now, but that's been our push 
and our our dream to be able to be a blessing in that way yeah so you know you've heard luke simmons our pastor at gateway say before that ministry is a black hole there's always something else to do does that ever get sure. discouraging or frustrating in in, in your context because i know you guys work really hard and you have families and you're trying to hold all that together yeah the context we're working is just people are going through a lot of stuff they're going through a lot yeah you know when you know we we have the the comfort of knowing where our next paycheck is coming mm-hmm. you know a lot of people in our church they don't have that ability yeah. you know they could yeah. not have a job tomorrow and so yeah. a lot of guys are just working and working and working it's easy for them to you know especially our 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 mexican guys get really caught up in just just working and pulling away from the church and 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 even I, there's just a lot of just challenges i think psychologically of you know think about a guy who lives in mexico and when he's in mexico he's just a normal guy yeah but when he moves here he becomes you know he becomes hated viewed as a nuisance as a as a criminal mm-hmm. right he he begins he he's looked down upon that that psychologically does something to people i yeah. think you know a, a lot of shame mm-hmm. right it, just this you know this dehumanizing that happens to these guys and and so i think they're they're trying to survive they're trying to cope with that trying to raise their kids and and it's challenging yeah three years ago it was a new church close to my house, a brand new church. And, and we took our dog to do the grooming stuff. And I told my wife, oh, I'm going to say hello to the pastor. They look like they're cleaning and preparing for the next day to have a service. And I was in my basketball shirt and not looking like a pastor. And I went to the door, and he pulled his family away, like, put it back. <laughs> like, wow. And I said, Wow. My name is Josue Lopez, and my pastor too. So I just want to introduce myself. And you have those feelings a lot. Yeah. Like you're yeah. dangerous to the families, or I don't know, business too. Uh, yeah. They look different to you. So. Yeah. So, is there one question you wish I had asked you? I, I would say, I, I was thinking about that. If anything, I, I would ask you. I don't know how to put it in a form of a question, but I would ask probably about, have you asked me something about mental health? Yeah. The importance of mental health? I know that's completely off this, so this topic. What's but. wrong with me? Why don't we ask you? Let's <laughs> ask you, congregation. <laughs> it's called narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> you, you set yourself up for People that. clapping. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I evaluated. You're hitting about eight of the criteria. So. <laughs> you can tell that just from preaching collective. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Yeah. Only thing I hear my preaching collective him typing. He's got the loudest laptop ever. Or his fingers are really bony or something. <laughs> Tyler Tyler James, when he was hired, he seriously was wondering what's wrong with why is Frank so angry. <laughs> because he would hear me typing. And, and, then, and then he got a new computer, and it has the same keyboard, and now he's doing the same thing. So I want to buy you one of those keyboard covers with the rubber. <laughs> yeah. I really literally thought about that yesterday. <laughs> oh, man, that's right. I was typing a lot of notes yesterday. That's right. Um, and we always sit next to each other at, at Preaching Collective, too. So you, you ask for it. You sit next to me. You can sit anywhere you want, but you sit next to me. So. I have tinnitus from his typing. <laughs> well, well, let me say this. Isn't it interesting that you just talked about how hard this is emotionally on, on so many of the people in your, in your community, and God has been driving you to learn uh, about all this neuroscience? That's not no. a coincidence, no. is it? Josue, anything you want to add before we close uh, up? I love ministry. I love being in Mesa. I love work side with Chris. Uh, I love to be a part of Redemption and how much they support us, the ministry that we have there. Uh, and, yeah, I miss my country, to be honest with you. I miss my family there. I miss uh, the culture over there. 
But I know God brought me here for a, a purpose to share his gospel. And, and I love that. And we're on board about that, too. That's awesome. You, you realize that um, there's a lot of talk today, both uh, a- academically and journalistically, and then just in conversations with other pastors about um, how hard it is to be a pastor and how most pastors are kind of sorry that they became pastors because it's so hard. And so it's really encouraging to be with two guys who are in a very challenging ministry context say that you love being a pastor. That is awesome, I'll tell you. So let me pray for you guys. Would you guys pray with me for uh, Chris and Josue? Uh, Lord God, we are grateful for who you are. We thank you for your word and its truth and for your Holy Spirit. And God, especially, I just thank you for Chris and Josue and how you have gifted them, uh, how you've made them this incredible team in a, in a place that is just desperate for the gospel, who, a place that needs uh, two people who are thoroughly sold out and committed like Chris and Josue. Uh, God, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And, and I also just pray for their families. I lift up uh, their wives and their children. Uh, I know it's not easy to be uh, families of pastors and, and spouses of pastors. And so I just pray for them for uh, courage and for comfort and for hope as well. Um, God, I pray that you would bless this ministry, uh, not only with, with uh, all the ways that that you work and, and show yourself so that you are made known, just like we see in Exodus. Uh, but also, I just pray that you bless them financially. They need help, and, and uh, they need encouragement in that regard as well. Um, they are truly a mission here in this local context. They are ministering to people um, that are not like uh, the majority population here, but they need Christ. And so, uh, thank you that you've gifted them and called them to this and that you are equipping them for this. I pray you bl- uh, bless them, and I pray that uh, you would be given all the glory, as it says in Exodus, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.